open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15 is where we are going to continue our study this morning. A couple weeks ago, it feels like it's been forever ago, just even having a guest last weekend, and um, we've been at a conference, so lots of different teaching. Can we get lights on? Pretty please. Anyways, it feels like forever. I was aiming to get through this whole message all in one Sunday a couple of weeks ago and made it halfway, which is actually really good. So even for me, in my, in my normal studying processes, I have my way. I have how I read the word, how I choose to listen, how I choose to press into, you know, asking the Lord questions and prayer, writing things down, going to commentaries. I have a specific way that I, that I study the word, listen to the Lord, and attempt to come to you and communicate what I've been learning and what the Lord has been taking me through. So because I've already done that whole process a couple of weeks ago, just really sitting in the subject matter of obedience and, and in the preparation for this morning, a lot more just meditation, a lot of asking God questions, such as, why do you believe that the Word of God is the Word of God? Right? As we get into this morning's text, Samuel's instruction to Saul was, listen to the voice of the Lord. And I, I mentioned last week, as we talk about obedience, it, the foundation of this Word has the idea of listening processing, understanding, seeing what's before you, holding on, observing, keeping, the, all of these words are wrapped up in obedience. But doing, acting out of, you know, it, whether it's behavior or words, you're going to respond in disobedience or obedience to the voice of God to one degree or another in your life. But as we sit here and trying to define what is, what's the voice of God, for Saul in this moment, in this passage in 1 Samuel 15, the voice of God came to him through a prophet of God. We've already been sitting with Samuel. He's already been defined as a very godly man, raised in the temple, raised as a priest and the Levite and this whole thing. And we have the testimony that the words that he spoke on God's behalf, not a single one of those words failed. So when we sit here and define that here's this man as a prophet, speaking forth the word of God in power, in authority. That's being defined as the voice of God in this passage. And when we sit in all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we define this whole document as God's word. So in regards to his voice, his voice is not separate from his word. But then you just you sit in Genesis chapter one. What did God do in creation? The very first moment of, of creation, he, his words, his voice is, let there be light. And there was light. So there's power in his voice. There's authority in his voice. But I'm sitting and meditating in this week, and Lord, as I, as I in my own life, and my own relationship with you, there's so many ways where I have been disobedient, where I've been rebellious, where I have been stubborn. And these are definitions that we're going to get into today. So many ways. But I just, like, do I really believe in your voice? And not only do I, but why? So even as, even as Corey was just sharing the gospel, in 90 seconds, you have this whole message of the conveyance of good news. It is a ton of information. And then all of that information that's expressed, like, do you really believe that you die because you sinned? Is that the reason for death? That's what the Word of God says. 
But do you believe it? And do you only believe it because the word of God says it and you haven't really thought about it? Does that make sense? We're told that the only way to have life, eternal life, which death being defined as a separation of the spirit from the body, eternal death, hell is defined as a separation from the spirit, from the spirit giver, the almighty God. That's what that separation is defined as. Eternal life is unity with the source of life. We're told through just a simple act of faith, just believing, doesn't matter what you've done, I've read some articles this week. I have, a, I have a couple of instances in my head right now, the articles, the circumstances of death, of evil associated with that death, absolutely horrific. At the end of this morning's passage, we have an absolutely shockingly violent death that we're going to read about. And we're told in the gospel and the good news that even somebody who commits a horrific act of violent murder, that sin can be removed from them and erased from them through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, through simple faith and belief. Do you believe that? Are you astonished by that? Is it right? Is it just? And again, we sit in all of these definitions. Why? Again, as I'm sitting here meditating this week, it is only because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that I believe all of this. That's, that's my gate. Because what other evidence? Just because my mom and dad told me so, just because the Bible tells me so, is that why I believe all of these things? To a lot of degrees, yes. But my gate into that conversation is if Jesus, which we know to be a historical man, history cannot deny his existence, his time, what he taught, where he was. They can't deny his death. And history, they cannot deny his resurrection. Not only the evidence that we have in this document in our hands, but in external evidences that point to his resurrection as not a myth, but a historical fact. And it's because of that historical fact and because of what he had to say about the rest of this document, that's what causes me to press into the voice. This is what causes me to trust in the voice. And I'm using this as, as a foundation for this morning because we have a choice whether or not to obey. He gives us that freedom in our relationship with him. And I can tell you, there are so many different ways in my life that I have listened to the word of God. I believe it. I believe it's true. I believe the source of it. And there are so many times in my life where I have sought justifications to do something else instead. To do, I want to be angry. I want to throw a stone at this person's head. I want to not like them. I want to gossip. I want to be holier than thou. I know the truth, you don't, I'm smart, you're an idiot. Anybody else? Like we, we, we all process through these emotions every single day. So I wanna make sure that you are processing through with why do you believe that this is the actual voice of God in your life? Why does this have authority in your life? Why, are, why did you come here this morning? Our act this morning of coming into here, this is an act of obedience. And it's a sacrifice. You could be doing something else right now. This, this has a cost for you. But it's a choice. You choose to obey. You choose to come and worship. 
to lift up your voice so that your creator can be lifted up. We come in here to pour out our hearts because life is hard. Life is challenging. Life can be depressing. Life can be flooded with joy. But we come in here to express all of this, to lift up our hands to the throne of God, not to close our fists against the throne of God. And this morning, again, we're watching Saul. Saul is being commanded to go and exterminate the Amalekites because the Amalekites had fists against the throne of God. And Saul is thinking that he is obeying the command of God, obeying the voice of God. And ultimately, the revelation that he has given is his fist was against the throne of God just as much as the Amalekites were. And as we sit in the instructions this morning, it's as we, as we press into, do we believe that this is the voice of God? And then we, we sit in some very hard commands and some pretty shocking circumstances. If you attempt to provide an interpretation and how to apply this in your life that is empty and void from the definition of who God has manifested himself to be, it will lead you to the conclusion that God is a monster. How can God execute infants? If you answer that question, independent of, he is the source of all life, the creator. He has defined himself as good, holy, just, righteous, patience, merciful, compassionate. You list out all the hundreds of words that we have to define him, that he has given to us to define him. It's when you press into those things that even when you come to the conclusion and you say, God, I do not understand, but oh my God and oh my Savior, I trust you and I submit to you and I long and yearn to be obedient to you, but I don't find the power in me. Therefore, give me the power. Give me the desire. Give me the new heart. And this is where we're sitting in, in Saul's story. So we are told as he is being appointed and anointed as king, through God's command to Samuel the prophet, when Samuel speaks to Saul, he tells him that God is going to give you his Holy Spirit. And not only is he going to give you his Holy Spirit, he is going to change you. He is going to make you be another kind of man. And Saul processed through that life experience, and we watch him have this one victory as he does what he is supposed to do as king, as savior, and deliverer for the people, delivering the people from their enemies. He goes and he saves the people of Jabesh Gilead. And we're going to see them show up at the end of Saul's life to bury him. The people of Jabesh Gilead were very thankful for Saul. But the rest of his story, in the next passage, we see that Saul is disobedient to the law of God. And all Saul did, this is all that he did. He sacrificed an animal, and whether he did it or he had somebody else do it, and presented this animal as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice unto the living God. That's all that he did. Is that worth having his kingship removed from him, being fired from his job? From the position of the holy God, it was. Because this, again, this was a segregation of duties. A king and a priest 
are never lumped together in the word of God until we're introduced to the king and the high priest, Jesus Christ. So Saul was damaging the image that God desired to convey to his people. And because he damaged that image, it had consequences in his life. But here's what God was seeking in Saul. He made him to be a new man. He gave him his Holy Spirit. But in this condemnation of his behavior, Samuel says to Saul, God is seeking a man after his own heart. And in all of this that we read through this morning, in all of Saul's life, God is looking for a relationship. We use this word a lot because we use it to contrast the difference between religion and relationship. Religion in and of itself is not bad. It has this idea of being bound to God. And there are many religious ideas and behaviors that are defined for us in the word of God. But when those things become things and independent from that relationship with God, it's nothing. And these are the ideas that we're going to sit in this morning because God commanded sacrifice. Saul was offering a sacrifice, but he did it in a way where God said, don't do it like that. And that had consequences. And the whole issue became a matter of his heart. His heart wasn't for God. His heart was against God. And in his life, he had continual opportunities to turn, to repent. We're going to watch Saul repent again today. But his repentance, it's all about the outside, him. It's his image before the people. It had nothing to do with his personal relationship with God. So all of these ideas were sitting in 1 Samuel 15. In this, we ended in the middle of the passage where Samuel, in verse 16, tells Saul to be quiet. In this, in, in running just quick review, Samuel's coming to Saul, tells him to heed, to listen to the voice, listen to the voice of the words of the Lord. Here's the instruction that is being given. God is punishing Amalek and the Amalekites, and we already sat in all the reason last week, but a very, a very, um, Again, on the surface can seem like a harsh judgment if you answer it outside of the word of God and his revealed character, but they are to go and kill man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. donkey. Everything is to be utterly destroyed. And in that early verse, it uses this whole, uh, this word, do not spare, it means don't have compassion for human beings in this moment as they are executing God's judgment and justice. So when they do this, they go, they attack the Amalekites, they utterly destroy everything except there in verse 9, this king, Agag, is spared. They had compassion on Agag for whatever reason. But I have this circled in my Bible there in verse 9. It says that they were unwilling to utterly destroy. They were unwilling to do, to follow out on all of God's instructions. So this is, this is our issue. This is every single human being. God says, A, and then we process through a bunch of reasons why we don't need to do A in its entirety. Making ourselves feel like we are obeying in a complete way, but really we're withholding. Why? Because it comes at a cost. 
This is uncomfortable. This is painful. This is a sacrifice. Um, I'm not sure if I believe that or not. We have all of these different reasons that we can process through of why we don't do what we're told to do. Every child knows this with their parents. Every parent knows this with their children. All of us know this in our existence and our relationship with our creator. The word of the Lord comes to Samuel and God uses this word that he greatly regrets. He is now sorry. He is abandoning Saul and setting up him as king. And the reason why God gives this is that Saul is the one who is turned back from following him. There was a moment in Saul's life when Saul, again, in, in the foundation of his narrative, it's clear that he's pretty ignorant of an in, a intimate relationship with God. So it's pretty clear that when Samuel steps into his life and appoints him and anoints him and he processes through this being the Holy Spirit coming upon him and being changed and prophesying with the prophets, Saul has a conversion experience. He is now following the Lord. And after some years, as he is being tested, what God is exposing in regards to Saul's heart to us today and to the culture of the time, Saul's turned back. He started to follow me, but he turned back from following me. And therefore, because Saul has rejected me, I am now going to reject him. But in the midst of God's testimony of Saul turning back, God has his truth and his holy and perfect perspective. In Saul's life and his mind, he's erecting a monument to himself. He is setting up a monument saying, look at how great I am. Look at the child of God I am. Look at my ministry. Here is a monument that will tell generation after generation of my victory and my power. Totally blind to reality because he's convinced himself of his own personal truth. And we'll throw that into air quotes because it's truth. It's not true. It's a lie. So... As Samuel approaches him there in verse 15, there's this other voice that's going on. Well, it's in verse 14, the voice of the sheep that have been preserved, the voice of the oxen that have been preserved. Saul is offering this excuse, and there in verse 16, Samuel says to Saul, Saul, be quiet. And it's not shut up. It's Saul, let go. Stop holding on to you. Stop holding on to your ideas, your excuses. Let go. And I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night. What what does Saul do? Does he keep on talking or does he shut up? Listen, this 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 is a language thing that's really important. Samuel's command to Saul is a command. It's in the imperative. Be quiet. Let go, Saul. Release. And Saul and his position as king doesn't let go. He gives a command in the imperative. Samuel, speak on. I give you the authority to speak on in my presence. He is not humble. And this is exactly what Samuel addresses here in verse 17. So Samuel says, When you were little, when you were humble, when you were small, diminutive in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? 
And did not the Lord appoint you king over Israel? Now, the Lord sent you on a mission. And literally, the Lord sent you on a way. And again, in the New Testament, following Jesus Christ is defined as a way in following him, a singular way. We are followers of the way, is this book of Acts title. But the Lord sent you on a way and said, go, utterly destroy the sinners. Sinners has the idea. These are, these are you and I. Outside of a relationship, a saving relationship with your Savior through Jesus Christ, you are defined as a sinner. A sinner, a sinner is a criminal. We just sang a song a moment ago that he died, Jesus Christ died a criminal's death on the cross. He died the punishment that every single one of us deserves in the sense of a death. But he offered himself. We are told in the New Testament that he was obedient to the point of the death of the cross and his relationship with the Father, giving himself over, handing himself over, delivering himself for the payment of our sins. And that includes these sinners, the Amalekites. This includes every single soul of the eight billion that are alive today and how many ever billions have already passed before us. Sinners. Utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed, until they are finished. And the questions, why then did you not obey, obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Yeah, just, just, sit, in the, just sit in the questions. And if you take notes, write this down. If you underline in your Bible, underline this and go have a conversation with your God. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Do you have your excuses? I do. I have all kinds of lists that I have given to God thinking that I'm holy and a good boy and running through my list is, here's why I did what I did. Here's why I want to do what I want to do. Here's my excuse. Here's my justification. Hold on to these ideas because it's going to be an important definition in just a moment. And the, the emphasis on relationship, it's the doing evil in the sight of God. This isn't just in his visual sight. It's in his presence. He's in this room right now. He's with you every single day. He has always been. He always will be. He, has al he is always continually present in all of our lives. Whether we have a relationship with him or not, or not, he is constantly there. Our whole life is naked and exposed before him. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, how much... And I know you don't want to define it as evil because we all kind of want to shirk back from that. But how much evil? And remember, disobedience is it's evil. Saying no to God is evil. How much evil have you done in the sight of God? New Testament tells us he or she who has been forgiven much loves much. I want you to know 
And I want you to meditate in on all that the Lord has saved you from. I was a dark man before Jesus. I was a wanderer. But in my mind and in my eyes and in my life, I thought I was better than my friends. I didn't go down into the depths of sin like they did. I thought I was, I thought I was better. And it wasn't until I was exposed to the gospel, proclamation that Blake your sins, your issues, those things that caused me shame through the conviction of the Holy Spirit before I even knew the Holy Spirit, those things separate you from a perfect and holy God that has created you. Those things, the just, the righteous judgment of God is for you to be permanently separated from him. Now, one of, the, one of the ideas in this passage to meditate in is when it comes to the Amalekites, remember they attacked the Israelites 500 years before this scene. Time does not erase your evil. I can sit through a list, and I'm not going to with you, but I've sat through this list with God, sat through this list with my spouse. Here's all my disgusting stuff. Time did not remove that darkness, those thoughts, those actions, the damage that I did to myself and to other people. Time has not erased it. The blood of Jesus Christ erased it. I mean, this is the gospel. And then I sit in my life from the moment of salvation, especially that, that first year of me saying, Jesus, I'm yours, I had a good couple of months. And like Saul, I turned back from following the Lord. Oh, I was still going to church. I was still learning and growing. But I was, I was right back in my old behaviors like that. I was weak, I was young, I was immature. God was patient with me, walked alongside of me, convicted me constantly, brought me to a threshold in my life. I love this line that's in the floor because it's perfect illustration for me. Blake, son, what side of the fence are you going to live on? Are you going to live in the world? and be miserable. You've already tested everything else out. You didn't like it then. Now that you're in me, you really don't like it now. Are you really going to live over there, Blake? And I had to get to this point, Lord, no, I don't want to live there. God, help me. And it was through an act of obedience. Do you know what my act of obedience before God was? There was was an act of confession. There was an act of being convicted by the Holy Spirit and God, I know that I'm playing in the darkness and I want to abide and remain in your light. I am confessing these things to you. I'm asking that you come in and that you cleanse me through your blood and your sacrifice on the cross. I need you. I long for you. I hope in you. I want to follow you. And it was in that moment. There was a transition in my mind and my heart and my behavior. But my act of obedience, my getting up out of the chair... It's my baptism. It was about a year after I got saved. I remember being in the back, 
This is Assemblies of God Church, and they, they worship for like an hour. We have an hour-long message. Great congregation. I was participating in a new believers class. I knew the Sunday of baptisms. I didn't want to sign up. Do you know why? I don't like you people looking at me. I, I don't like this. I'm fine with it because the Lord is, you know, this is what he's doing with my life and those kinds of things, but I don't choose this kind of stuff. But I was sitting in the back, just being, my heart, and it wasn't conviction, it was, it was a command. Blake, I'm commanding you to get up out of this chair. And I'm commanding you to get up before these people. And I'm commanding that you would image to them the work that I have already performed in your life. My life has never been the same from that April day in Salt Lake City, Utah, getting baptized in a baptismal like this. I'm like the 20th guy. The water is already brown and dirty by the time I get up there. I'm in my baggy jeans and my street clothes. I'm not in baptism kind of clothes. And it's cold in April in Salt Lake. Here I am, Lord. Wash me. My sin, I'm, I'm with David in Psalm 51. My sin, anytime I'm out of step with the Lord, it's, it's always right. It's always right in front of my face. Because I beg God, I beg God, keep me on a short leash. If I ever try and go back into that darkness, into that world, Lord, Lord, you can trip me, you can break my leg, you've got a collar around me, you can yank as hard as you want. I give God, keep me. Because I know my heart. I don't give myself many permissions that we are free in the bottom of, body of Christ. There's a whole bunch of things where I have lines in my life. I will not cross because if I do, I know that I'm going to turn away. I am in constant dependence and trust in the Lord. And I hope you are too. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm camping on this and I'm remaining in this because you have to have your own list. You have to have your own life experience. If you haven't bent the knee to Jesus Christ, I pray that today is the day and that it's not this religious, this is what I have to do, but it's I have nowhere else to turn. I've heard the voice. Lord, you've sent so many messengers into my life. And if you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, how are you doing? I pray to God every day for you that you are in the midst of his joy, that your life is busy with him because your life is hard. It's complicated. You've had a lot happen to you. You've done a whole bunch. Some of you are young and you have your whole life ahead of you and you haven't even begun to stumble yet. You're going to do some face plants. You're going to feel like you got hurt by God. In fact, we were at the, um, this, the pastor leader conference this week. I haven't reached out to Zach Adams yet, but I'm going to reach out to him, call him, and invite him to come and share his story with you. Zach ought to have been dead from COVID. You should have heard. He gave a 20-minute snapshot of, of what the Lord has been doing through him and in him and what he's learned and all the all that I could just not to cry. Incredible testimony. Incredible faith of their whole family. I want you to know what it is 
One, who it is that God is. And two, what it is that he's saved you from, what he's delivered you from, what it means to be a Christian. This world has all kinds of different definitions for what that word means. But do you know what it means to be a follower, an obedient, passionate, loving follower of your Savior and nobody else? What a a journey these last 20 years have been. But what a journey just even the last week has been, just meditating in all of these ideas. (sighs) Saul says to Samuel, the excuses I have obeyed in verse 20. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. What are you talking about, Samuel? I've gone on the way, on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I brought back Agag, the king of Abelech. I utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Just so you know, later on in Esther, Haman is an Agagite. So the whole issue, the the man who is persecuting the Jews and the story of Esther, which they're in the land of the Persians, is a descendant of Agag. This lack of obedience in Saul's life had consequences generations down the road. I brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder. It's people's fault, always. Sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. He knew what the command was and didn't do it anyways. Why? Because we're going to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel says, and this, is, this ought to be indented in, in your Bible. It, it stands out. This is the, the area that you really want to press in and just think through these things. Has the Lord as great delight? Does the Lord have joy in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord? Great question. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. So before we continue... To offer a sacrifice, do you have to be obedient? Think about about what's being said. You can sacrifice to God and not be obedient. There's a right way to engage your creator. There is a wrong way to engage your creator. And the Old Testament and New Testament describe all of these things for us. But sit in this question. Your life and my life, we want to be consumed by God's joy, that which brings him joy. Loving your spouse the way that Christ loves the church brings him joy. Honoring your parents as commanded brings God joy. Serving one another fellowshipping with one another, turning away from sin, standing in boldness, giving the rebuke when the rebuke needs to be given, being silent when silence is what is demanded in the moment. There's so many different ideas in our relationship that bring him joy. And all of these things are defined for us in a variety of ways. But in this context, obedience to his voice, that's the best better than sacrifice. And here's our words. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the iniquity 
and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. And this is the idea of rebellion. Rebellion is contention. Rebellion is pressing your case. So in everything that we have observed in the above text is Saul being rebellious. He is putting forth his case. This is why I have obeyed. This is why I have done what I was told. Yes, here's my excuses and here's the nuances, but it was for this reason and that reason. So this is what rebellion is. It is, it is pressing your case. And why it's linked to witchcraft is witchcraft is divination. The whole idea of witchcraft is pursuing a human being to tell you what God's will is. What's the future? What am I supposed to do in this circumstance, in that circumstance? This is what divination and witchcraft is. In witchcraft, it's using all of these cultish things. We're going to look to the moon and to the stars and to the horoscope. We're going to look in this time of age, you know, we're going to cut open the animal and look at its entrails, and that's going to tell us the will of God. But this is the idea. Rebellion and witchcraft are linked because the ideas are linked. Divination is attempting to discern the will of God independent of God. Rebellion is claiming what the will of God is independent from the will of God. Samuel gave to Saul the will of God. Saul did not fulfill it. Therefore, he was in rebellion because he said, essentially, not so, Lord, I'm going to do it my way. Now, stubbornness, you know, we have this idea of being stiff-necked, you know, just keeping your neck stiff rather than bowing your head to the Lord. But uh, the word for stubbornness has the idea of coercion, and you're trying to, I wrote the definition down, that you're trying to force a particular course of action. So you walking alongside of your friend, and you want to do this, and you are trying to convince your friend to do this with you. That's what stubbornness is. And it's linked, again, to sin and to idolatry, because even again, in the idols and in sacrifices, you are attempting to convince God to go in your way with you rather than what we're supposed to do with following God in the way. So when it comes to sacrifices, you can offer a sacrifice to God in, in a way that's disobedient. And in the way that Saul is doing it and the way that's being described is he's going to sacrifice the best of this spoil to God to get God to do what he wants God to do. So this is, how many of you have ever gone to God in prayer trying to convince God to your course of action? I have just about every day. And then I try and qualify with, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Makes myself feel better. But this is the idea of stubbornness. This is the way I want to go. And I'm going to convince other people to go in this way with me. And ultimately, I'm trying to get God to come with me down my way. And what does God do? Does he travel down that way with you? He's there. He's always there. But he's not in agreement with you. He's not in fellowship with you. There is a separation. You have turned away from him. 
What consequences he brings or does not bring is solely up to him because his timing, his judgment, his mercy, his patience is always perfect. But this is the whole idea of stubbornness and why it's linked to idolatry. Again, the idols, the sacrifices that are being given to those idols. I'm doing this for you, God, so that you'll do what I want you to do because you're the genie in the bottle. That's the idea of stubbornness. And these are the ideas that are being lifted out of Saul's context, out of his soul, out of his mind. He is being exposed to his own heart. And what does he do? Verse 24. Samuel, I've sinned. I've transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words. And it's because I feared the people and obeyed their voice rather than the voice of the Lord. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Good confession? On the surface, on the outside, pardon and forgive me of my sin. But who's he talking to? He's talking to the man. He's not talking to God. He's still, in his confession, he is still rebellious and he is still stubborn. Have you ever been there? I'll make it easy for you. I've been there. I have gone to God in confession, in conviction. I am wrong. I have sinned. I have disobeyed. I have not done what I am supposed to do. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. And my heart still be in this position of trying to get God to do what I want to do. Convincing myself that I'm right. And God's always been patient with me. He doesn't let me, allow me to let go of that conviction in that moment. He keeps bringing me full circle back around. Whatever the issue is, it keeps coming back in my life. I don't have freedom in this area. He keeps bringing it back, keeps bringing it before my face until I really, God, I'm done. I'm quiet. I've let go. I've released. You were right. I am wrong. Change my heart. Change my mind. Change my words. But again, Saul's confession here, his desire, it's all focused on him and his position and how he stands before the people. Samuel says to Saul, I won't return with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turns around to go away, and again, in this moment, you really, you can picture Saul as he has been confronted that he is on the ground in front of Samuel as prophet. And as Samuel turns away to go, you can see Saul reaching out for the hem of his robe. Don't go. And when he does it, when he grabs onto the hem of Samuel's robe, again, this is a, it's, it's, it has a border, the hem of his robe. It's, it's describing his position as a Levite, as a priest, as a prophet of God, and it tears. And for Samuel, that becomes... So Saul seizes the edge of the robe and it tore. So for Samuel, again, it's this instant imagery and another proclamation from God. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel away from you today and has given it to, your, to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Man, sit with Saul in that. 
you ever been confronted by God in a way where you're sitting there throwing stones at somebody's head and God lets you know that that person is actually better than you in that moment, in that circumstance? Saul is going to sit with this definition of David. He's already sitting in the, in the definition that God is seeking a man after his own heart. Saul has to sit in this definition of David for the rest of his life. David is better than you. Why? Because David loves the Lord. And when David sinned, it wasn't this worldly, all about me confession. It was a confession that was real and true. Psalm 51, sit in the Lord, my sin is always before me. Wash me and cleanse me. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. David witnessed the Holy Spirit being removed from Saul. We're going to sit in next week. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give the kingdom to a better man than you defined as somebody who trusts in the Lord and not in self. Verse 29, and also the strength, the splendor of Israel, great title for God, will not lie or relent. He's not going to break faith. He is not a man that he should relent. Wait a minute. I thought that he did relent and regret. He does. Hold on a second. Verse 30, Saul says again, I have sinned. And look at these words. Honor me now. It's all on him. Please, before the elders of, of my people and before all Israel, return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel, even in this, he turns back after Saul. Saul worships the Lord. Again, all the imagery that we're given, his worship, everything that's going on, he's still in the position of rebellion and stubbornness. Samuel says, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites here before me. So Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag says, surely the bitterness of death is past. Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. Now, imagery. We don't have any really old guys. I'm picturing like Gandalf in my head. Somebody with long gray hair, long beard, totally white. Samuel's an old man. I'm picturing him with his staff. So picture this weak, aged prophet of God. And what does Samuel do? This is shockingly violent. It says that Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Full obedience. This is the prophet of God executing the judgment and justice of God upon this wicked king who God gave space to repent, who when you meet God face to face, you will not tell God that Samuel did something wrong in this circumstance. This old prophet cut a man down in peace. I can't imagine the violence of that action. In full, and it says, before who? Full vision, full exposure, full righteousness of God before God's presence. This was the act of Samuel in his radical 
obedience to God, not because he had to, but because he knows God and he's in relationship with him. He knows the wickedness of Agag and the Amalekites and what they're doing to the people and even probably has an understanding of the future consequences that Agag is going to have in the life of the Jews. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. We'll pick up in that idea as we turn to the anointing of David next week. I've already given you, I think, your homework but I'm encouraging you, spend time with your Savior. I want you, I, I want to know, and therefore I want you to know who your creator is and all of his attributes. You, and you can see in the world all of these ideas of injustice. And what do you want to do to bring about justice? You have ideas. I've read a couple of news articles this week that my idea of justice is the execution of the individual. Give them the gospel, give them the opportunity to repent, and even if they repent, that person needs to die for what they did. God, help me. But I want you to know, I don't want you to go digging in your mind, in your life, where there's not sin. I don't want you to go and unbury things that don't need to be unburied. I don't, I don't need you to go and sit in all these emotions and, and break out your childhood pains and you know that kind of cycle analysis. That's not what I'm talking about. What I do want you to know is why do you choose Jesus? Why do you believe that his tomb is empty? Why do you call him savior? Why do you call him teacher? and good, and kind. Why do you follow him? Why are you here this morning? Why are you going to come back next week? Why do you worship? Why do you serve? Why do you give? I want you to know why. And I want you, I want you to hold on to the whys. Like I said, my study and preparation for this morning, totally different. Just, just really able to sit with the Lord and questions and allow him to give me all of these different reminders and triggers to take me down processes and in ways to worship him, to thank him, to understand why I believe what I do believe. Why, why do I have this hope that I'm gonna see my creator face to face? I have my reasons. And I wanna make sure that you have your reasons. I don't want you to do any kind of religion. I don't want you to do something thinking that you're obedient when in reality you're really just as rebellious and stubborn as Saul. And I tell you, this is why Saul drives me nuts because I've seen my behavior in him before. And Lord, God help me, never again. I don't want to come to you as the genie in the bottle. I don't want to come to you and convince you to my way. I want to come to you in nakedness, in humility, knowing and understanding that I am the creature and that I am small, but that I am loved. And that you do have a way for me. 
You have a next step. You have a plan and purpose. I exist. The only reason I am still here and breathing and not in God's presence right now is because there is undone work for him to do in me and through me. So whatever that may be, Lord, I want to know. And I want to do well. And I want to have a heart like David. And I want to be a better man than Saul. I want to be a better man than Blake was last week and last year. I want to grow and I want to mature. I want nothing more than Jesus and Jesus Christ alone because I'm told that he is right and that he is good and that he is the way, the way alone. Amen. Worship team, come on up. So Father, all that we've done this morning, as we slept last night, as we woke up this morning, as we got ready, through all of the busyness, there you were. Through the prayers, there you were. And the worship, there you were. And the argument, there you were. And the agitation, there you were. And the demands, there you were. And the asks, there you were. You have always been there, Lord. And you have always been good. You have always been just. You've always been righteous. And because you tell me that you don't change, I know that that's who you are right now. So I'm asking that you meet each, meet each soul in this room, Lord. Let them hear from you. Through the voice of your Holy Spirit, speak to their minds and speak to their hearts. Those, Lord, that need to let go and to be quiet in your presence, let them know, Lord. Those who need to pour forth gratitude and praise and just to pour out their worship of you, Lord, may your Holy Spirit pour out of them as they worship you now. We remember your sacrifice, your body that was given for us, your blood that was shed for the remission, the removal, the forgiveness of our sins. We come to your table, Lord, not in sin, but we come to your table in worship and in gratitude as we remember you and rejoice in you. Whatever it is that gives you joy, may that be what our life is all about. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.